Good afternoon, and welcome to One More Thing, featuring authors, artists, entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Donna Lynn, so glad you could join me today, and I invite you to tune in on Sundays at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time for our in-depth talk and terrific guests. If you've ever thought of mastering conversation and the fine art of small talk, you've come to the right place. Renowned speaker, author, and small talk expert, Deborah Fine has done just that. She's the author of The Fine Art of Small Talk, among other books, and she joins me right now on One More Thing. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you, Donna. Very uh, glad to be with you um, and an honor to be a part of your programming. Thank you. And it's, it's nice to see you again. <laughs> well, thank you. Same here. You know, I say and that, I like by the way, when I run into people, if I'm not <laughs> sure I've met them before. That, that's, my, that's my tip. I like that play on words you have, the fine art of small talk. That's Thanks. Very my last name. In the first chapter, you say, what's the big deal about small talk? But a lot of people, Deborah, I don't think they know exactly what it is or how to use it to further their personal or professional lives. How do you define small talk, Deborah? I, I believe small talk is the appetizer for any relationship, whether it be social romantic or business. So it either starts with small talk, uh, you're on a good date, or you meet somebody at a party, um, you meet somebody at a networking event or an association or industry conference, and it starts with small talk, you know, where are you from or what brought you here, or uh, tell me about your family, and then it leads into something more concrete. Or, you know, I've or... Even, I've even heard people say, I don't like small talk, yet there's small well, people talk. People that don't like it aren't, aren't good at it, typically. <laughs> Do you agree with that? I know, I know. You you know, I don't don't like running. I run, by the way, to stay trim, but I don't like running. And, um, but I learned how to get good enough at it that I could go for 45 minutes to an hour. Yes. What do you mean by, when you say in your book, we, um, um, every conversation is an opportunity for success? Because we never know where, Donna, a conversation will lead. We meet somebody, whether it be on the train or at a networking function or a baby shower, and it could lead into helping your own child out. It could lead into a a new opportunity in the future. It's how we build a network. But every Mm -hmm. conversation is an opportunity unless the person you're engaged with is a class A jerk or offensive in some way. Then then, there's no success there, right? It's time to go. Yeah, I have a friend named Jean who talks everywhere she goes to everyone. And her daughter said to her, Mom, why do you go around talking to people like that? And Uh, Jean said, because I learn so much. And that's kind of my philosophy my whole life. I learn so much from other people just from listening sometimes. Right. I I couldn't agree more. And and it's an opportunity to connect with other people who may um, you may be able to help, right? Or obviously That's may right, be able yeah. to help you in the future. But you can't look at it as transactional. You have to look at it as just an opportunity to get to know someone and vice versa, I think. Now and there are teach, times, Donna, um, where... Oh, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead, Deborah. I was just... There are times to not small talk. You know, when I'm on the elevator and I don't know where you're getting off, I think it's just fine for me to say, uh, nice to see you, or hope things are going well, or hope your summer's going good. I don't have to say, so how have you been? Tell me about your summer. I mean, that, that's a good time to have peace and quiet, in my opinion. You know, I just found out one of the best pizza joints in town. I was on the elevator the other day somewhere, 
Um, and this man just started talking to me, and all of a sudden it came up about a restaurant, and there you go. So you do learn from small talk. You do. And uh, I think it's really, as you said from my book, every conversation is an opportunity. You teach how to start conversations, keeping it going, breaking the ice, all these basic skills that were often left on our own accord to cultivate because these skills are not taught in schools, uh, which can become problematic later on, especially in business. So that's why people hire you, right? That's exactly right. And I, uh, sometimes it's pretty unfair, I think. You know, I used to be an engineer, and there was a time in my career where I truly believe I was not promoted because of my lack of uh, 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 communication skills. It wasn't that I was a horrible person by any means. It was just that I was so quiet, and I would hide in the women's room, you know, before the meeting, and I didn't know how to talk to anybody that I was, despite my work and my grades in school, I was passed over over again because I had no visibility. And I, I think the same now goes for an attorney or a wealth manager or a CPA or an architect. You know, we, they learn what they need to learn to be outstanding in their field, and yet they still are expected to bring business into their respective firms. Or leaders in industry are expected to maintain rapport and build trust with people that work for them, stakeholders. So if they don't have the skills, the conversation skills, they don't do that. And oftentimes people will leave and or just not support them in collaboration. So I think small talk or actually just developing business relationships, business friendships is the real key. And small talk takes you there. It fosters business relationships and business friendships. And as you know, Donna, because you're very seasoned professional, all things being equal, people do business with their friends. And all things not being That's so equal, correct. people yeah. still do business with their friends. And so not schmooze, not to say, uh, you know, Donna, it's so great. You know, I saw your picture. You're so gorgeous. Or I mean, that could be schmooze, right? But to be authentic and to be real and to just show a genuine interest in people. Yeah, I think sometimes it's very difficult to be comfortable in our own skin. Uh, where we can compliment and accept compliments. Not all of us are comfortable in our own skin. And right, also that's another take, thing. Yes, you're, that's yeah. a really good point. And we take small talk. Or we, I think we just take talk for granted. I know when I taught interviewing, I, I've taught interviewing to all ages, and the younger the person was, the more naive they were. And they would say, oh, anybody can do that. What's the big deal right. about interviewing? <laughs> and it's a pretty big deal, you know, as we all know as we get into that. What are some of your best suggestions, Deborah, for refining our small talk skills on a daily basis? Well, number one is to make yourself do it. So what I, what I mean by that is um, two to three times a week, unless you feel like you're up to two to three times a day, make it your business to engage someone in, in conversation who you wouldn't ordinarily do. So let's say you're attending a meeting, you're at the conference table, the meeting doesn't start for three minutes. Instead of picking up your device, instead of playing with your whatever, look to the person to your right or your left and engage them in conversation. Bring me up to date. What's new, what's new with the project you're working on? Or catch me up on your summer. What'd you do for fun? Um, mm -hmm. so, so I would ask myself, I do ask myself to do it two to three times a week minimum because the more often you do any task, the easier it becomes and the rewards come and that, you know, induces us to do it even more. The same thing goes, you know, we are all, all your listeners, I think, are, just, are, are enjoying summer. So whether it be at a 
neighborhood barbecue. It's up to you to walk up to a face that you either don't know or you haven't seen all year with the pandemic. Um, or maybe, wh- whatever the case may be, don't wait for them to walk up to you at church or synagogue or at the barbecue or at um, a-, a wedding. Walk up to them. Hey, how are you connected to the bride or groom? Or, I don't think we've met before. I know you live in the neighborhood. Tell me, tell me about you. What brought you to this neighborhood? Did you grow up here in Minnesota? I mean, it's up to me mm-hmm. to do that. It's not up to me to wait for you to come do that, because I could be waiting the rest of my life, Donna. What if nobody comes yeah, up point. to me? Very good point. So it's up take to the, us. Take to, the initiative. Exactly. I call it assuming the burden. It's up to me to assume the burden of your mm-hmm. comfort. And if people that are listening today in your audience or in the future, if they're shy and or introverted, they probably typically have said to themselves, well, you know, I'm not good at that. I'm not going to go walk up to a stranger and start a conversation. And I would respond back to them. I get that you're not good at it, but why do you think other people should assume the burden of making others feel comfortable? It's up to shy and or introverted people to do the same, to assume the burden of other people's comfort. Yeah, that's a great phrase, assume the burden. I like that. Well, the same goes, by the way, if um, I'm sitting... Go ahead, sorry. uh, There was a time uh, when you mentioned that you didn't always start conversations easily because before you became a keynote speaker, you were an engineer. Or engineered, as you said, I love that. Um, Thank that you. term, as you say in your book, engineered. Uh, and you grew up timid, but then you went through a transition in your life that changed your perspective. Can you take us back in time to when you had that epiphany of sorts? Well, I just I made this assumption through most of my life into my uh, 30s that People were born with a gift of gab, like you, Donna, or they instead were born like me, without it, and that was fine. It was just how it was, right? It's like a talent, like you can play violin and I can't, or it came easily to you. But the epiphany was really, this could be a learned skill. It doesn't, once again, mean I have to love it. It just means it can be a learned skill, an acquired skill, not the most important ingredient to our success, but just an ingredient to our success. And not only in business, but also in our life. You know, if you're dating, it's, I don't want to sit across the table from a gentleman that takes me out for the first date and feel like I'm hammered by interview questions. And it may not be because he wants to be an FBI agent. It may be because he lacks conversation skills. And if I don't feel that sort of chemistry right away with conversation skills, I'm going to dismiss everything else that's good about him. So mm-hmm. my, my, my background was that oh, you, if you don't have it, you don't have it. But instead, what I did was, for my own personal life, I decided to tackle it, just as I had exercise. And I would watch people like yourself, like, what is she doing? Why are people, why are people so comfortable around her? How is she launching conversations? How is she exiting conversations? What's her body language all about? Like, how, what kind of listening skills is she exhibiting? And then I would do this for myself, and I, I really saw a change. I mean, I made friends. It's as simple as that. I made friends, and I wasn't so alone in the corner. But the other thing I did was I thought maybe other people want to learn how to do this. There are other people. I used to think it was just engineers but because of the stereotype of us dorky engineers. But instead I learned pretty quickly that fourth-grade teachers, um, people in, in um, hedge funds, people at Google – you know, we're not all born with the gift of gab. And, and by the way, I have a whole chapter in my book, but also in my programming 
on conversation killers. So just because you're born with the gift of gab doesn't mean you necessarily don't employ conversation killers. So the, some of the most charismatic people and outgoing people we know are the mo- are the worst offenders. Right, right. Now, so Deborah, did you, know, you come from? Did you come from a family of talkers? Did you talk when you were growing up to your family, to your brothers and sisters, or your parents? I, I would say that it was a very. I mean, I come from a family of five daughters, so it was a noisy house. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. I I would say, um, looking back, uh, um, my father was terrifying, so there was no real conversation there. And my mother, what I witnessed my mother do that I, I have never forgotten at the grocery store or whatever is what I thought my mother was a snob. And she may have been. I, I have no idea. But she would like... She wouldn't be warm to people, and I found that very off-putting as, even as a young girl. And so mm-hmm. the one thing I did do most of my life is try to be warm, try to put a smile on. And like I said, I'm not sure if she was a snob. Maybe she was shy, and that's the problem. People that are shy or just sort of stand by themselves or don't warmly greet people, they are viewed as arrogant. They're not viewed as shy. Yeah, they're viewed as stuck up, and a lot of times they're not because... Some people are, they have a debilitating shyness. My own mother did. And I think that's why right. I went in the opposite direction. She was so shy to the point where it hurt her uh, every day in her personal and professional life. But take us back to where you started your business because you saw a need there and necessity is the mother of invention. So take us back to that time. So I had an idea to offer a workshop. Um, I live in Denver in a... In a sort of an evening or Saturday kind of lifelong learning situation. And I, was, and I offered a workshop on small talk. I was a, in a situation in my life that I really needed money, and so this was what I thought I could earn an extra 50 to $100. I also had two little kids, and, and I was at that point had become a single mom, and I, I, I knew I could get babysitters at night. So I scheduled a class from 6 to 8.30 at night, offered... Uh, the Fine Art of Small Talk, and six people showed up, which wasn't the worst thing that ever happened considering how I wasn't a very good presenter at that point. But the class grew and grew and grew. And it grew to a point where it got to be 50 people, and I had to tell the, the whoever my boss was, I, that's all I can manage in a classroom of 50 people by myself. So um, one, one day, it took me about a year until this happened, and by that time, I was getting much better as a presenter. I'd never gone to Toastmasters or learned presentation skills. I was a pretty awkward gal. Um, and, but I was learning. I was learning what people laughed at. I was learning. I was, would ask in the evaluations at the end of the program, what did you want to learn that you didn't learn? Um, how could this class be improved? I was asking for negatives because I wanted to know how can I make this better. I didn't need for somebody to tell me, oh, she got a five out of five. That, that wasn't going to be helpful. I learned so much from my audience. I, they are the ones that told me people wanted to learn exit lines. I didn't, know, I didn't come up with that on my own. So about a year into this, offering it about once a month, a woman came up to me and she said she was a... Um, um, a municipal clerk from the city of fill-in-the-blank, and they had a conference every year in uh, Keystone, Colorado, and she thought I would make a great speaker. Is there any way I could shorten my program from two and a half, three hours to one hour, turn it into a keynote? And, you know, I thought pretty quickly, and I said, yeah, that should be no problem. I mean, everything is easy, Donna, to shorten. It's harder to lengthen without fluff. 
I said, sure. And she said, so what's your fee? And I was stymied. I, I, I really didn't know ordinary people could be professional speakers. I thought Tony Robbins, you know, famous people. I didn't realize ordinary people were hired as keynote speakers for fees. And I luckily said to her, well, what's your budget? And she said, this was in 1991, she said, $1,000. Well, I nearly fell over, Donna. I mean, $1,000 to me was the hugest. I mean, I needed money so badly. I was in such a bad place in my life financially and had so much, so many problems in that area. So I, of course, said, I'd be glad to work with you at that fee. Oh, and she said, we'll pay for your hotel room and your mileage and whatever. So, but that, that was my next epiphany, and that is, oh, conferences hire speakers, and they may hire speakers with my topic, and they pay $1,000 for an hour. And I took off. I just started cold calling. We didn't have the Internet back then, and it grew into the business I have today. And now you're advising all of us. What are some of the common questions and concerns to this day that you hear from your seminar participants? Well, I think the biggest one right now is is how do we talk about anything besides the pandemic and or COVID? I mean, just this morning, <laughs> I was on a Zoom call, and it opened up with everybody talking about how fearful it is that this new Delta variant, and so everybody, not everybody, most people had a story and, not, and went around, and then I was the one that assumed the burden and said, okay, that is very, it's, that's all very distressing and frustrating. Let's talk about something positive before we move on. Anybody got something positive in their lives? So you see how I assume the burden just to come we up sure with did. other things to talk about? So, um, and, it, and it went great. It went, everybody has positive in their lives as well. So I would just, my feeling is that it, it, it's okay to talk about the elephant in the room, whether it be vaccinations, I guess, or the pandemic or COVID and how it's impacted you or or there's a silver lining, but also to talk about other things. Like, so tell me, what's been the highlight of your summer so far, Donna? Or Donna, what would you say mm-hmm. the number one ingredient to your success has been? Yeah, I think what you talk about in conversation is very important. In fact, I go out with a professor friend of mine um, every couple of months for lunch, and it's a real treat. And at the end of the lunch, I always say, boy, you know, we really had a great brainstorming session here. She's very creative. And she said, our conversations are interesting because we talk about concepts and ideas, not people and things. And I thought, I thought, I always thought that was a great philosophy to have. I couldn't agree more. And what we have to help direct that to and contribute to that, right? We can't hope that others will be like the professor, right? Right, and you have a chapter that's called um, uh, Give Them Something to Talk About, and what you just said by moving your own conversation forward, you certainly gave them something to think about, didn't you? I, I think so. I, I know so, actually, you know, and I would just recommend, and that goes for, by the way, if somebody picks a topic that I'm uncomfortable with. Let's say I'm uncomfortable talking about politics, and somebody mm-hmm. just starts going down that rabbit hole, I'll just say, you know what, That I just steer clear of that. I've lost a lot of friends that way. Ha, ha, ha. So let's talk <laughs> about any, anybody have any upcoming plans they're looking forward to or, you know, or what's what's on the table for work right now? How is, it, how is working from home been or what's the future for you with regards to that? You know, just change the topic. You know, I've watched uh, some of your presentations, and it's hard to believe that you were ever uh, timid or shy because, you certainly are an engaging speaker, and you have a natural flair for comedy. 
Um, oh, thank you. you just, That's you just, a really great. You never thing. know because one, one of my observations you. about you is that you're very quick, and when you're quick, you're smart, and you put this whole business together. Right. Thank you. That's a really nice thing to say. Um, it, it definitely. Um, listening, um, listening, and curiosity are key components to conversation. Deborah, tell us how can we best cultivate our listening skills. Well, the best way, and you can read a million books about it, but the best way is to talk to somebody who you're not as interested in whatever topic they're talking about. It could be your five-year-old child, by the way, or it could be somebody who is your boss or your mother-in-law, and test yourself and see, are you hanging on to every word? Would you be able to repeat what they said, not exactly, but paraphrase what they said after they've, they're done with their narrative. And if you can't, then you're, what you're doing is you're, you're looking around the room or you're thinking about something else or you're, you know, I have a listening quiz that I delivered at my programs that's pretty funny because even if the audiences are Lockheed Martin or, or Google, most people don't, don't get it right. And the reason they don't get the quiz right is because they're not really listening. They're, they're second-guessing what I'm about to say, so they start adding numbers up when that, without boring you, that was not necessary. They did not need to add numbers up. The answer came in my first sentence, but they were poised because I'm an engineer because I started using numbers in the first sentence. They thought this was about numbers, so they're trying to add and subtract. So, I mean, it's hard. to listen to, like sometimes I listen to my husband talk about the Denver Broncos and I just just want to tune out or I do realize I'm tuning out. <laughs> so what I need to do um, is say to him, you know, this is just, Steve, you need to find somebody else to tell this, your tale of woe about the Broncos <laughs> too. Or, or hang on to every word, you know. So, I, I mean, that's the key. The other key to being a great listener, but there's a couple, is to give verbal cues. Like you're great at that, Donna. You, well, you just laughed, so that was a verbal cue. But verbal cues are, are, even if you're a quiet person, you must um, give verbal cues like, uh-huh, or I see what you mean, or give me an example of that, or what happened first, or what happened next, or anything like that to contribute to the conversation. A lot of quiet people pat themselves on the back, uh, and believing that at least they're, they're not interrupting, so therefore they're good listeners. Well, we are not, I'm not a good listener because I don't, say anything. If you're talking, I need to say things like, oh, good for you, Donna, or, well, geez, (laughs) that must have been rough, right, to at least let you know that I'm following along in the conversation. And you you and I are are obviously virtual right now. We're not face-to-face. But if we were face-to-face, it's equally important. I can't just stare you down and give you (laughs) eye contact and not give you a verbal cue that I'm following along. Or you're at some point going to say, are you with me here, Deborah? Are you with me? So that's, that's a really important uh, tip or yeah, and, and interviewing um, interviewing on the phone is always challenging. Interviewing on Skype is challenging. And years ago, when I started out, I did everything in person because that's how we did it. Right. Uh, and then you could see a person's face. Face to face conversation is the best thing in the world, and it's free. It's all inside of us. But you know, I do a lot of listening, obviously, and I still and I right. have to admit this is a very candid statement, but. After all of these years, I still have to practice that. Listening is very difficult. Would you and say I you're great at it? it? Because when you're interviewing, you're, you're the pro. You're the pro. But how about in your real life? Are you good at it? Um, a lot depends. And you just brought up a very, very good point when you said your husband was talking about the Broncos. 
now my husband's a CPA, so he talks about clients. Right. And he's a um, financial manager. He's he's in business. He knows numbers. Uh, I'm not that kind of person, so I have to really work at it, as you said, to really buckle down and listen to that or do what you say. Maybe you better go talk to somebody else. Maybe you better go talk to a client right now. Which right. almost sounds kind of rude, doesn't it? No, because sometimes, let's face it, it's like, you know how people are, let's say, about their kids, and they're going on and on about how brilliant and Olympic um, destined their 8-year-old is. You know, and they're just, well, you know, after four or five minutes of that, I'm done, Donna. Well, the same <laughs> yes. thing goes if you're my husband and you're talking about your work. For, it's enough already. Now, if there's a concern or he really needs someone to listen to, my guess is your EQ comes right through, Donna. And you know to say, wow, it sounds like you're really upset about this. But that's different than him just blabbering about, you know, somebody's IRS return, you know. And then it's time to say, <laughs> yes. I, you know, I gotta, I've got stuff I need to do. <laughs> Listen, you know, my, you know my, I, I wish I, we were visual because my husband, like, takes his finger and starts rolling it. Like, you know how movie reel, moving it forward, it, that means move, pick up the pace. Move, move it forward, yes. Yeah, moving forward. Uh, well, questions but, are very important, and you talk about that in your book, asking open-ended questions. Give our listeners a couple of examples of open-ended questions. Well, some of the best, I mean, are described for me. What was that like for you? How did you come up with that, maybe, idea? Or, But um, here's some of my favorites, it, and they're this. If, if you and I ever get to speak again, Donna, this is what I'll say to you. Bring me up to date. What's new in your life since the last time we talked? So I didn't say, mm-hmm. how are you? I didn't say, tell me how you are. I said, bring me up to date. What's new in your life since the last time I saw you? If you are a colleague of mine, I'll say, catch me up on work or bring me up to date on the project because I'm much more like, so I use bring me up to date, catch me up on what's new with rather than how's the project, which is a close-ended question. But rather than tell me or describe for me, when I can get away with it, I'll say to a, a young person that I know is in college, bring me up to date. What's new with school since the last time I saw you? Because if I say, tell me about your classes, I'm probably going to get a list of classes that he or she is taking. If I say, catch me up you know, on your college experience, I've left it wide open. The door is now wide open to go any direction they want to go with. But I will tell you, Donna, you know, a lot of books or people say, open-ended questions are really the key. And I disagree in that I think that if someone's willing to talk to you, and that's the key, not everybody's willing to talk to you after church, around the water cooler, um, at an, an, an industry event. They, they may decide, they look at my name tag, see the fine art of small talk, and think, well, she can't help me. I want to meet uh, somebody from a law firm. I have software. I sell to law firms, and they're, they're networkers, and so they blow me off without me even opening my mouth because they looked at my name tag. I mean, I can't get somebody like that to talk to me, so there's no getting around that. But, but... I can say to somebody at an industry conference, so you're from Orlando? Yes. So did you grow up there? I mean, Orlando's right on their name tag. That's a, that's a close-ended question. Did you grow up there? And if they're interested in talking to me, they'll say, yeah, I grew up here, but, you know, I've maybe been to Disney World once or twice. And I'll say, why? If they don't want to talk to me, I'll say, so did you grow up in Orlando? No. Mm-hmm. They probably don't want to talk to me. They just gave me a one-word answer. I'm going to give them one more shot at it, though, Donna. I'll say, oh, so where'd you, where did you grow up? Cleveland. Okay, now I know you don't want to talk to me, or maybe you're just made of wood. One of, one of those two things is happening, and this conversation didn't work. 
so you don't have to use an open-ended question. Just to show a genuine interest and make sure the conversation ball goes back and forth. So when somebody says to me, well, tell me about your work, Deborah, I, I, I give them no more than two sentences about my work, and then I throw the ball back. And tell me about your work. I mean, Donna, the other day we had a chance to talk in anticipation of our time together today, and I, I, when I say purposefully, I don't mean manip- manipulatively. I mean genuinely and sincerely said, tell me about you. Because it's real easy to fall into a trap where somebody wants to interview you or somebody comes up to you and shows an interest and you forget to show an interest in them because it's so fun to talk about ourselves. Yeah, that's true, Deborah, yes. And I love that comment. Bring me up to date. That's a great comment. Yeah, bring me up to date on work or bring me up to date on your family or bring me up to date on your life. Either Any of those yes. three apply. I mean, any of those work. How does, Deborah, uh, small talk lead to big talk? What is the fine art of the big talk? Well, the book, The Big Talk, and what at least what I describe it as, is those really, it either leads to big talk or sometimes things start with big, big talk, right? Um, big talk is a negotiation, an interview, a presentation. But all, those three things, and there's many other things that are big talk, but all those things go better. <laughs> in my opinion, if you put a picture frame of small talk around each one. So, for instance, I happen to make a living as a presenter now. That's how I earn my living. Now, I haven't done a lot of face-to-face in the past year, which is obvious to everyone, but I I do have two coming up next week. And this will be what I'm going to do, just like I've always done. I will get there early before the program starts, and I will walk around the room or the coffee area, wherever people are hanging out, and I'll just introduce myself. I'll say, hi, I'm Deborah Fine. I'm the speaker later today. Tell me about you. Tell me about your work with fill-in-the-blank. Or um, tell me about other meetings that you've attended this year. Have they mostly been on Zoom? Or I will engage people around the room in conversation and small talk for two reasons. One, because I want to show an interest because I really, just like we discussed earlier, every conversation is an opportunity. The other reason I want to do it is so that the audience knows I'm interested in them, and I'll cite anecdotes during my program. Oh, I learned from Lynn that she does da-da-da-da-da, and she really she came from Portland, and she didn't realize she would be end up in this career because she started in this career. And it, 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 it's just a way of showing how small talk really works. But the same thing goes for a negotiation or the selling of a widget. Um, if you start with small talk, you develop this business relationship, and then you move to the business at hand. Well, just uh, I think the other day I said to you, because you're so easy to talk to, and we were just talking it up. I said, "So, is there anything else I need to know about the programming on thir- you know on during our taping?" That was my way of taking small talk and moving it into the big talk. The big talk is talking about our schedule and the mechanics involved, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to make mention right now that you can purchase all of Deborah's books, fine books, by the way, on Amazon Thank at you. Barnes & Noble or your favorite bookstore. You can also visit Deborah at DebraFine.com. At That's DebraFine.com. Um, one of the most difficult events for people, Deborah, can often be a family Christmas party or Thanksgiving. Uh, two-part question, why, first of all? And what kind of tips do you have for family gatherings that would make it easier on us? Well, I think one of the reasons they can get, I mean, we, one of the reasons we expect Thanksgiving or Christmas or any, any holiday time to be, e- we just expect it to be easy because these are intimates of ours. 
However, what happens is we fall into a rut. We say things like, so how's your year been? Good. How about yours? Good. We don't walk in prepared, so be prepared. Um, Last time we talked, uh, you were working with da-da-da-da-da, bring me up to date, what's new with work since the last time I saw you. Don't walk into an event like that. If you don't know the answer to a question, don't ask it. So if I don't know if uh, if my nephew is still in college, I'm not going to say to him, Joe, how's college treating you? Come on, folks. If you don't know he's still in college, what if they kicked him out? What if he dropped out? What if? Well, who knows what could have happened? I don't know what's going to happen. If you get there and the neighbor that you've seen at this holiday party, you know, every year, um, and you don't see his or her spouse, don't say, "Where's your spouse? Is she? Is she coming late? Is she not feeling well? What if she left him? You know, don't 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 ask questions you don't know the answer to. But I think we fall into these ruts with people that we know really well, and so it's really important that we walk in prepared with two to three things to talk about with them. So if you know somebody, love, think about, well, does Aunt Mary love movies? Oh, yeah, or books, or she's in book clubs. So ask what book she's read, or what's the, what's the book she'd recommend that she's read, or she's really into cooking, or he's really into racing, or football. I don't care about football, Donna, but I'll say, so catch me up. How's your team doing? Mm-hmm. You know, let him talk for a few minutes, show an interest in why his team is doing well or not doing well. So be prepared for those functions. And this is where we drop the ball with people. This is the second part to your question. With people that we know well or people in our families or close friends, we ask the, the, the back, backfire questions. We, ask, we say things, or, or not even just questions, but we make statements like this. Donna, well, are, are you not drinking? Why, don't don't you want some wine? And Donna politely says, no, thank you. And I go, well, why? Have you given it up? Deborah, stop. Just stop. She politely declined. That's enough. Okay? You don't want, an, you want, you don't want a piece of pie. What do you want to diet? Why do people ask these questions? Here's another good one. Deborah, did you make that or did, is it store-bought? Why would you ask yes, that question yes. in front of everybody? Why, why did you just do that to me in front of 12 people? Here's a good idea. You want the recipe? Go in the kitchen with me when I go to clean up and privately say to me, you know, I would love that recipe. Is that available? And I can either say, oh, I bought it at the bakery, or I can say, uh, nope, it's not available, family secret. I can handle it any way I want to handle it. Don't say to your son, I'm a mom of 30-year-olds, mm-hmm. you know, you could, you could use an iron once in a while, buddy. That, that's well, not, there's so many know, we don't get to... awkward um, things to say, and I think it all goes back, Deborah, to this statement, or this question, what do I say? And in all of my right. studies and papers I've written and so on, it all comes back to that. I had a student come up to me after class one time, and she said, you know, I just don't know what to say when I'm out, and I'm always saying the wrong things. How can you help me? I think people just don't know what to say for a variety of reasons. There are various reasons why people don't know what to say. But I want to move on to the next question. Now, you've written another book called Beyond Texting, The Fine Art of Face-to-Face Communication for Teenagers. Uh, You know, years ago we had porch conversation. I grew up with that, and now it's computer conversation or text conversation. So young people are rather isolated today, aren't they? Well, I think they are. And it's, you know, a desk is a dangerous place to view the world, right, Donna? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... And a desk is where our devices are, or wherever our devices are. And, and it's tempting, yes. Yeah, and we, we're used to text conversation, which is a whole, or email, or whatever, is a whole different art form than body language, tone, uh, cues, 
you know, social cues. So I think, like anything else, it, it requires practice for us to um, be good at it, and the more isolated we are, the less practice that we get. Yeah, it's very tempting to check someone versus calling them on the phone. Calling them on the phone is almost... I don't want to say it's completely obsolete, but I think it's getting close because we text right. so much. Right. I mean, it, I, I will often text someone that's in my personal life and say, is this a good time to talk? So I use it as an appointment setter or just I don't want to, I don't want to intrude on somebody. On the other hand, for <laughs> business, if somebody sends me an inquiry via email and their phone number is on it, I pick up the phone. I don't respond via email. I just pick up the phone. And if I get their answering machine, I say, you know, I was hoping to you know, to talk to you voice to voice. Obviously, this isn't a good time. I'll follow up with email. So I don't make them play phone tag with me. But I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, that's a great idea. We fear, you know, we don't use the phone. I say the phone feature on our phone has been really neglected, Donna. Yes. You know, so many events uh, and life situations give us the chance to partake in small talk, and one of those is the job interview uh, where we talk to strangers. Do you recommend small talking with the job interviewer, um, Deborah, in order to break the ice? It depends on, you know, the circumstances. If you're walking down the hall because they come to greet you in the reception area and you have a hall to walk down or an elevator, get you know, if you have, if that's, if that's the occasion, how it works out, and they say to you, how's your day? You better have something ready. My day is good. Yeah. I got to the gym this morning. <laughs> my day's great. I got my five-year-old to uh, uh, school without any tears. Uh, my day is great. I'm looking forward to tonight because um, I'm working on my MBA, and I, I, I feel like I've got the coursework under. Be ready to what I call play the conversation game, and typically that is exactly what a potential employer will ask. How's your day, or how was your weekend if it's a Monday, or how's it going, or how have you been? If you say, if somebody says, how are you, and you say, fine, how are you, and they say, fine, you've got a long haul to walk down with nothing to talk about. <laughs> and trust me, if they don't say anything more because they're shy or introverted or don't know how to assume the burden, <clears throat> it will not reflect on them. It will reflect on you, the candidate. Nobody ever blames themselves. They always blame the other person. So by that I mean they interview you and you have the skills and you have the accomplishments and all that other great stuff, and then they interview somebody else who is comparable, comparable. And yet when they walked down the hall, they felt comfortable with them, just comfortable. They didn't think, oh, that, that's a master conversationalist. That's like Donna Lynn. No, they just didn't feel awkward. Guess who mm-hmm. they select? It's obvious. The same at the, en- you know, at the end of the uh, meeting. Look, be observant. Is there a trophy? Is there a picture? Is there? Tell me about that picture. Tell me about that trophy. Don't make any assumptions. Mm-hmm. Don't say, is that your daughter? What if it's not their daughter? What if it's their granddaughter? I mean, what if it's their niece? Who knows? I don't know who they are, but tell me about that picture. Or if you saw the mission statement in the reception area, ask about that. How did they come up with that? You know, whose vision was that? Was that, you know, a long time ago or recently? And just use whatever you can to start a small talk conversation. Now, if, if the receptionist, who you should always do small talk with, too, by the way, how's your day going, I say to her or him, so they take me back to the meeting room, to the interview, now there may not be time for small talk, right? So they take me back to the executive vice president, they say, um, Ms. Jones, your candidate 
Deborah Fine is here. And I say, hi, Miss Jones, Deborah Fine, good to meet you. I extend my hand. She does the same thing. And um, she takes charge at that point and says, so, Deborah, she'll either start with small talk or she'll start with, so tell me a little bit more about your background in engineering. And then there's no time for small talk. So if, it, if you get right to the business at hand, they're, they're the leader. They get to decide. Now, near the end, once again, if you've been observing, you can say, I noticed the, you know, the mission statement on the wall. I noticed some articles or I noticed some journals um, pertaining to real estate. So tell me, is, is that a big you know, sector within this industry for you? Something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've ever watched any episodes of Columbo, you know, played by so brilliantly right. by Peter Falk, he's the master of small talk. He's a master of observation, and he'll look at the bookcase and he'll look at the fireplace, and that's how he gets his information right there. Well, he's disarming, isn't he? Yes, he's, di- he's disarming because he's small talking, and all the young people are wondering who's Columbo. But we make it. We, we but it's a great show at any age. So, um, but you're exactly right, and I think that. That's the kind of person that doesn't come across aggressively or what I would sometimes the most charismatic people tend to be really loud or pushy or ask interview questions. No offense to you, Donna. Um, and it's the people like Colombo who are just genuine and talking and, and seemingly warm that we best connect with, all of us. Yeah, he's so clever to uh, do his small talk. And then he slips in the real question as he jumps around and all this conversation. But you have a wonderful chapter called Crimes and Misdemeanors, Assaults on Conversation with the Deadly Weapon. It's so entertaining but so true, Deborah. Could you go through just a couple of of those techniques, the FBI agent and the braggart and the monopolizer? Well, okay, let's talk about the monopolizer. It's one of my favorite words because as your audience is listening to our our conversation today, Donna, and they hear that word monopolizer, my guess is all these people are coming to mind, you know, their boss, their uncle, their mother-in-law, their whatever, and monopolizers, monopolizers, or that person at church that, you know. But we never think of ourselves. We only think of other people. Isn't that crazy? So it's everybody else but us. I disagree. I think that, and you can be shy and quiet, and you become a monopolizer. In my rule book, if you talk about yourself more than four minutes, so if I say to you, tell me about your vacation to uh, Napa Valley, and you start describing it, and I give you verbal cues, that sounds like fun. Oh, huh So, oh, did you enjoy the restaurant? Mm-hmm. So I'm really a good, you know, I asked you the question. Now you're telling me. Four minutes later, you need to say, so, Deborah, have you been able to go on a vacation recently, or do you have one coming up? Because if you are still talking about your Napa vacation after four minutes, you've become a monopolizer. And just because I'm showing an interest in what you're saying, because I am interested, doesn't mean you get to talk for 15 minutes about your Napa Valley, whatever, or your kids, or your job, or your promotion, or your whatever, or your new house. Um, So make sure you don't become a monopolizer because somebody's showing an interest in you, or because even worse, you're so fascinated by hearing about yourself that you just keep talking about yourself. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's, a, that's a good one. I'm glad you asked. So here's another one that you didn't list, but it, but it's gotten worse and worse post-pandemic. It was bad enough before the pandemic. This was a typical conversation. Um, hey, Donna, how was your weekend? Oh, Deborah, thanks for asking. It was great. I went to Las Vegas with my husband, the CPA, and, you know, we saw some shows, and I went shopping, and I bought this whole new ensemble. 
isn't it great? I mean, I was, it was just, I just love it. I mean, they have so many beautiful shops there. The whole thing was only $550. Okay. So this is me because I'm going to top you. I'm going to either match you or top you. That's what people do. I'm going to say, really, Donna? Wow, it's a beautiful outfit. You know, I went shopping this weekend, too. I bought this whole, the suit, the shoes, everything, $85. So see what I've done, Donna? I topped you. I bought, I bought mine for 85 You bought yours for 550 So here's what you should have done, Deborah. You should have said, so Donna, I mean, what shows did you see? Were they good? Would you recommend them? Donna, where'd you shop? Donna, you know, what's your favorite stores there? It's showing interest in Donna, Deborah, before you top her with your stupid weekend. You know all about your weekend, Deborah. You do, because you lived it. This is what you don't know about Donna and her weekend. Or what your husband do when you went shopping? Does he is he a good shopper with you, Donna? I mean, there's so much to talk about. Okay, so now this is now we're post pandemic. Okay? This is what's happening. How's it been going? You know, how's this you you know, how's it coming to see light again for you? I say to somebody. Oh, you know, it's been rough working from home. I've got um, uh, kids at home, and I working from home, it was just too many balls in the air to, to juggle. It's been a rough year. And here's my response. That's nothing. Oh, my gosh, my business went down the tank. I mean, every conference that I had got canceled. They, you know, I got some, I got some virtual events, but that didn't come close to the robust business I had built. Okay, Deborah. So you're going to top her story about her kids and, her, and, and working from home with your story of your business tanking? She didn't ask about your business. You know your business tanked. Let's show an interest in this other person. So somebody, oh, I waited for months to get my vaccination. You don't have to top that story with, well, I waited for three months. I waited for, you know, we don't need to top each other. We need to show an interest in what somebody else discloses and then share our commonality. After I find out shows that Donna went to in Las Vegas and or what her husband did while she shops. Let's say he does the same thing my husband does. He sits outside the store and looks at his, you know, phone. That's what he does. So let's pretend Donna does the same thing. Oh, our husbands sound the same, da 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 You know, we, we can commiserate. I can let her know I have a husband, too. I can let her know that's So it's nice to share a commonality, but before we jump in there, let's show an interest. So that's what I call either topping people or matching people. Sometimes somebody will I'll say, yada, yada, my son is visiting. Oh, I have a son, too. Okay. Well, thank you for matching me. This isn't a contest. So that's, that's another, another conversation killer that... Is a tough one is the advisor. So here's, here's, I'm the worst. So somebody says, yeah, it's, you know, been really rough with the kids at home and, you know, we don't have a lot of room with me working from home and, you know, just a lot on my plate. And here's me. I say, well, what, you know, have you ever thought about getting a she shack in the backyard? Maybe and you could put your office out there <laughs> or can you, I mean, hey, Deborah, they didn't ask for your advice. Okay. They didn't ask for your advice. They were either venting or telling you because you're exchanging, you're communicating. Maybe this is a good time for you to not offer advice unsolicited to somebody and just say, that sounds tough, or, you know, um, what do you see down the line for you, or how do you keep your, uh, you know, morale up through all this, or anything, Deborah, besides trying to solve the problem. It's like if I told you, oh, my husband does this, Don, and he won't do that, and he keeps doing this, and I've had it with that, that's you know, we're girlfriends, Donna. You don't get to say to me, well, why don't you just leave him? Because I didn't ask for your advice. I thought, you know, we were just talking. I know I can leave him. This is the United States of America. It's a free country. <laughs> well, you know, Deborah, there are there are people out there who will take the winds out of your sail um, as you're talking along. But one last question, of course, one more thing here, Deborah. 
uh, before we close the show, what have you learned on your journey, On I, I should say on your small talk journey, about yourself? Because you've been doing this now for quite some time. Yes, almost 30 years. I think what I've learned on this journey is biggest, I think, is the joy of the joy of um, making so many wonderful connections in my life thanks to these skills that I needed for me and that I share with others. And um, I've had a big life because of it. I've met a lot of just, you know, just even why would you reach out to me because you found out about me. I mean, it's the joy of that. It's just a wonderful gift in my life to have met so many people. And people make the difference in this world, don't they, Donna? They do. And that's just a great way to end the show. And, Deborah, I thank you so much today for your time and your insights. And please visit Deborah at DebraFine.com. And I'll see all of you next time on One More Thing. Thanks for the pleasure of being on your show, Donna. You're very welcome.